Okay, one more time, but I do think this is going to sound okay. Blah, 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 blah. Hello. Welcome to From the Front Porch, a beautiful podcast from downtown Thomasville, Georgia, with the Big Oak. Do you remember that time you introduced me and Hunter to a bunch of people and you didn't even know the name of this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. I like the way he notices things. A noticer is a person who can never be entirely self-absorbed. Annabelle Moynihan, Nora Goes Off Script. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, it's March Madness, baby. We also announced this week our upcoming reader retreat dates for June, and we would love for you to join us. Right now, dates have been announced to our Patreon supporters and newsletter subscribers. So to make sure you know the latest about our spring and summer events, head over to our show notes and you can subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Or you can visit patreon.com forward slash from the front porch to support from the front porch and the bookshelf on Patreon, where you'll get first access to events like Reader Retreat, plus get exclusive content like our monthly Conquer a Classic episodes. Again, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter or you can go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch to learn more about our Reader Retreats and to get exclusive access to bonus content. Hi, Jordan. Hi, how's it going? Welcome back. I'm glad to be back. Every time we record this March Madness episode, I feel like we're doing it at odd hours. Do you remember? We've done it at like 10 o'clock at night. Yes. Now we're doing this on a Saturday morning. Yes. Which is bizarre, but it is because of your schedule. It is because of my schedule. I'm the problem, actually, this time. (laughs) I'm the problem. It's me. Uh, That's okay, because you're really doing us a favor. So thank you for coming and doing the March Madness episode. It's really a favorite of listeners. Did you know that? I did know that because at Reader Retreat, people come up to me and say that they love the March Madness episodes. (laughs) You don't think they're just sucking up because you're there? That's possible, but I think they really do enjoy it. Sometimes they even come up with like little quotes. They're like, oh, Oh. I loved when you said the vanishing half and, you know, all these things. Like they, they, they remember things. Okay. Well, if you are a new listener, Annie and Jordan Jones, I'm talking about us in the third person now. We love, they love, we love March Madness. Yes. We've loved. I've loved March Madness my whole life. My dad is a big basketball fan. We grew up. Didn't doing, I introduce you to I this? Hate every year. Okay. Every year. I introduced Jordan to March oh, right. Madness in okay. college. But yeah. I grew up doing it. I did brackets with my dad, with my brother. My whole family does March Madness brackets. So when I went to college, I met Jordan. We started doing brackets together. Jordan had never done one until that moment. You brought it up. That's right. So now. That's right. I introduced it to him, and it's very, it's a pride of my life. Yeah. So we started doing brackets. Jordan also introduced a betting element. That was something I had not done previously, where the loser had to eat only vegetables. Yes, it was a very strong punishment. At first, it was the loser gets punished by having to eat only vegetables and fruit and drink only water for two days. And then we eventually narrowed it to one day. And then after watching Annie go through that for about six years, <laughs> I said, hey, 
you know, seeing the writing on the wall, seeing that it was going to eventually happen to me, I said, hey, why don't we do a reward instead? And she was all too happy to do that. So we've agreed. And now it's a reward. It is a reward. But did I really lose the whole? Did you ever have to eat Mm. vegetables? Oh, that's infuriating. Mm -hmm. But because I saw the writing on the wall, I knew like, okay, it just can't go on forever. But since then, I have won $50. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, now we're up to $100. Oh, I forgot that. We're we're, we're rich now, so we go $100. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Jordan wants to make sure you know. So we love March Madness. We love this time of year. Jordan also works for the Florida legislature. And so every other year, March Madness takes on a whole new meaning yes. with Jordan's it's mad. work. It's doubly mad. <laughs> and so we that's why we have to kind of record these at odd times of the day. But we like to hang the brackets in our home. We keep track. Now the bookshelf staff fills out brackets, yes. which is also very fun and delightful. I don't even think I've told you. Olivia obviously filled hers out, as she always does, based on famous alumni, which always cracks me up. Like, she literally pits famous people against each other. Like, <laughs> I think, t- who did Virginia play? Give me an example. This year? Yes. Uh, I don't know. They lost. They, they lost. lost. Yeah. Well, Virginia, Tina. Oh, Furman. Furman. Yeah. Oh, Okay. I don't remember who Furman's famous alumni was, but Tina Fey was a University of Virginia grad. So Olivia had Virginia moving on. Because of Tina Fey. Yes, that's right. One of my favorite anecdotes about Olivia is when Annie introduced her staff to the March Madness process and showed Olivia the bracket, Olivia said, now this doesn't seem fair that the number one seed gets to play the number 16 seed. That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> so Annie had to then kind of explain. I think you explained it oh, as maybe well. I, did, right. I think we both did. She brought it up again this year and she was like, I know I'm never going to win that argument with mm-hmm. Jordan, but I still don't think it's fair. Olivia yeah. cares very deeply about things that are fair. Yeah. But yeah. it is it is very funny. So that was that's how Olivia filled out her bracket. Erin this year took a really interesting approach where she looked up Pantone colors. Do you know what a Pantone no, I color do not is? Know what that is. Okay. <laughs> okay, so Pantone colors. Is that like Roy G. <laughs> there's like colors of the year. And so oh, okay. Pantone like announces every year what the color of the year is. I, I don't really know like how fashion? to explain. No, no, just okay. color like you're going to see this color, yes, in fashion, but also in oh, home decor. You told me this, yeah. Be no- noticing the color. Yes, yeah, it, it's yeah, the yeah, color yeah. of the year that, okay. that experts predict is going to be the biggest color. So <laughs> There are color experts. Yes, of course there are. <laughs> I love it. Of course there are. Don't you remember that great? Oh, that reminds me, you laughing reminds me of Anne Hathaway and Meryl Streep in Devil Wears Prada. Right, she like explains right. to yes, her, Yes, you bought this at TJ Maxx, but let me assure you, it started some, yes, a color expert chose right. this Auburn sweatshirt. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so Erin looked up Pantone colors and I'm not sure, I'll have to get her to explain how she decided like which Pantone color had the greater value, but that is how she determined and it got her, I think she picked Houston. And so it got her, mm. it, uh, it'll be fascinating to see if it works. Did she go full throttle? Like if the 16 seed had a better color, did she pick the 16 seed? I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Maybe but she picked Fairly Dickinson. Yeah. Well, that's what's very funny about bookshelf brackets is maybe in a bracket pool with more expertise, fewer people might predict, right. for example, Furman right. or Fairly Dickinson. Right. But- in the bookshelf brackets, it's entirely possible <laughs> that right. someone picked that. So it's right. very fun. That is funny. Uh, I think Caroline, true fellow Enneagram 5, she had never filled out a bracket before, but she took it on with a plum, and I'm pretty sure she did a 
bunch of research because nice. I heard her telling nice. Aaron about 512 nice. upsets. Yes. That brought me a lot of joy. Keela, I don't remember. Last year, Keela did hers based on some kind of Hunger Games mentality. You, but you <laughs> but you know who's always the real one to watch? You know. Who's that? Miss Nancy. Oh, Nancy. Yeah, Na- yeah, Nancy yeah. knows what she's talking well, about. Well, Nancy is always the one to watch in any situation. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But Nancy's an expert. Like, Nancy, oh, right, Nancy's right. always the one to beat. So, anyway, we have a lot of fun. But what we like to do on the March Madness episode of From the Front Porch is we take our top 16, I believe, we take our top 16 best-selling fiction titles from the previous year. So, Olivia pulls all this data for us. She's like, oh, she's like that guy. Oh my gosh. Olivia's like that guy who does the election stuff. Steve Karnacki. You know who I'm talking about with his whiteboard and all his data? That's <laughs> yes. Olivia. Wait yes. till I tell yes. her. Yes, that's good. Oh that's my good. gosh. Anyway, she's our Steve Karnacki. That's good. And she pulls all this data. It brings her a lot of joy yes. because then she takes those 16 and she seeds them. She's the expert yes. who seeds these. And the pairings are almost impossible for us to debate. But Jordan is here to listen to me talk about these 16 books. Olivia has pitted them against one another until we get, I don't even know the winner, We we the top book. I don't really know because it's not our top selling book necessarily, but it's the book that uh, we think would beat all the others in a game of, of March Madness. Yeah, that's how we do this. It's good. And and I'm really impressed. Shout out to Olivia because some of these pairings are fantastic. Every year I look at the list and I wonder how she's going to do it. And every year I think I I know why she pits them against each other. It's very fun. Okay, so are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So the first pairing, the first matchup, I think would be like a a 116 or a 215. Okay. For example— it's Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens, because of course- That's the that, higher seed. Yes. Yeah. And of course, somehow it is still, at the end of our year, Olivia sits down the staff and she breaks down, she has all these charts and graphs and she breaks down our bestsellers. And we were shocked that Where the Crawdads Sing is still in our bestsellers list. Yeah. And it, I think it is because the movie came out last year, first of all. And then Delia Owens is originally from Thomasville. So I just don't think that book is ever going to not be a bestseller for us. But anyway, we've got Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens, pitted against Confessions of Franny Langton by Sarah Collins. Now, I think you're familiar with Crawdads. Am I right about that? I am. I am familiar. You saw the movie. I did. You had not read the book. Jordan literally gasped in the theater. It was a delight. I did. I did. I was seeing it for the first time. I was seeing it unfold. I was not. He did not see that. that twist coming. Yeah. He was very excited. So let me tell you about Franny Langton, which is a book that I read as a backlist title. That means it's been out for a while. I loved it. I thought it was excellent historical fiction, which I do not often read historical fiction. I'm not often maybe naturally drawn to that genre. But anyway, this book takes place, I believe, in the early 1800s. It might possibly also be the late 1700s. But Franny lives in London, and she is accused, she's been accused of killing her employer and his wife. She works for kind of this eccentric, renowned scientist who kind of stretches ethics and stretches the boundaries of ethics. And so what we are getting is Franny's perspective to try to figure out, can we trust her? Mm -hmm. And did she really murder them or has she been falsely accused? Is it a reliable narrator? We don't know. We don't know. Right, right. We we don't don't know. know. And Franny also then not only reflects on her time with this scientist and his wife 
and kind of the things that she was asked to do as their employer. But she also looks back on her time of enslavement on a Jamaican plantation. So you really get a wide range. You kind of get that Jamaican setting. You get the London kind of dark uh, Georgian England setting. I really loved how it kind of goes back and forth. And you're kind of captured by Franny's story, her attention to detail. She's a great storyteller. So I think the reason, I actually think this is genius, how Olivia pitted these against one another because it's these women who've been accused of a crime and you're trying to figure out if you believe in them or not. And so I'm sure that's why Olivia pitted them against one another. I've got a question. Did you find the movie adaptation of Where the Crawdads Sing to be more ambiguous or less ambiguous than the book? I'm trying to remember. I thought the movie... My recollection of the movie is that it did not leave much to the imagination in terms of what had happened. Oh, the book does not really leave much to the imagination either. I mean, it does perhaps a more subtle job of explaining those things, but but you do you do know what has happened by the end. So the movie was wasn't was inaccurate. I thought the movie. I mean, my feelings about crawdads are not always aligned with everyone else's opinions about crawdads. I think that it is a good book, and I think it was a good adaptation of that book. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. So what do you think? I don't know, because I know your feelings about Crawdad. You know, you might see this as being an overseeded book. A Purdue, you might say. A Purdue. (laughs) A Purdue. Although, you know, that was crazy. But there were some some overseeded teams. You know, there there are always always overseeded teams on the bracket and underseeded teams. So I think you would see this as maybe a a real three seed masquerading as a one seed or a two fifteen, where the 15 is capable. I mean, that's the thing we've seen that we've seen that the last couple of years. I mean, is it going to be a close game? Yes. I think it's a close game. I, but I do think, okay. I also think crawdads is the, an example of a team who's already had their chance. So there's a part of me that's like, it's not your year. You've already, You've already won the championship yeah. before. And that's one of the ways you see fairness. Yes. Olivia sees it in terms of, that's not fair. That There's no equity between the, you know, the, the teams aren't comparable. It's not fair. You see like, hey, you've already had your chance or you've already done your thing. Let someone else do it. I think that's why. That yes. I think that's part of the reason. Oh, people did not like on Instagram the other night that I talked about my hatred for Duke. And oh, right. I did, I'm not going to explain, like, whatever. I grew up in an, an FSU fan. So, like, I think naturally was not a huge fan of Duke. But also, there is something, I think I was raised very much in a household that valued underdogs. Yes. And Duke is rarely an underdog. Yes. And so, and I acknowledge they're excellent. I acknowledge their coaching is excellent, especially Coach K. Like, I acknowledge all of that. But I naturally have a bias against number ones. (laughs) I think I just do. And so I think I naturally have a bias against crawdads in honor of this sneaky 15 seed that might overtake them. Yes. You you love it when there's a really good upset. Yeah, I do. Um, Okay. So So what do you think? No, I already said what I think. Hmm. But you really need to be, because you're the more neutral party. Is, is the, is the, um, is Confessions of Franny Langdon, you know, you, you have to have a 15 that's capable of pulling an upset. Is this one capable? Yeah, it gets great reviews. It's not just me who liked it. It got great reviews. It's been turned in recently 
So speaking of movie adaptations, Franny Langton has just become a TV show in Britain. So my parents can watch it on BritBox. Okay. We can't, but they can. Well, I'm going to advance it partly on that basis. Yeah, um, so it's been... British TV. <laughs> Jordan but, but, does have a soft spot. No, but I, I think I think that this is a team that's capable of coming in and keeping it close and everybody's watching in the last two minutes. You know, the game reset pops up and everybody's frantic. And then where the crawdad scene gets a little bit uptight. Yes. And 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 and, the, and the, all of a sudden the ball looks like it has Vaseline on it, and and people. Who are were we watching last night? Where that was the case? Where the Purdue. team just yeah they just faltered yeah. at the end. They could not. Yeah, they, it, they were in their heads, and yes. the other teams playing with house money. You know they're they're out there. They got nothing to lose. Yeah. They're just dancing. They're yes. just happy to be there. And so I'm gonna advance. Um, I'm gonna advance confessions of Franny Langton on that basis. Okay. I think that's a, an upset, but Crazy I think it's a upset. it's a deserved upset. And some people are gonna be mad. Yeah. Some people are gonna say that's <laughs> yeah. not right. That, yeah. Yeah. It March Madness is not the fairest way to cause the best team to win. It is the best way to cause a fun tournament to happen. Mm, that's beautiful. Put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Okay. Second. Yeah, great quote. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so good. Just okay. Second pairing. Are you ready? Yes. Book of Goose. This is by Yu Yun Lee versus Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. This pairing makes me mad, Olivia. This is probably mm-hmm. in... In basketball, in March Madness terms, I think this is an 8-9 matchup. Mm. It could be higher because I think both of these books are so wonderful. You don't want one of these to not be able to advance. That's right. That's right. Because these are two of my favorite books of 2022. Have you heard of either of these? Do you have any idea about either of these before I explain them to you? No. Okay. (laughs) I know what chemistry is because I took a class called Chemistry and Society. (laughs) So did I. (laughs) The chemistry class for non-science. It was not great. Okay, so the first book is Book of Goose. This is by Yu Yun Lee. She is an author. She's written several other books. But this particular book was about Fabienne and Agnes. They're two young French girls living in the French countryside post, I believe, World War II. Agnes is looking back on her life. So it's an adult narrator looking back on her Mm -hmm. childhood. She's doing that because Fabienne, she just received word that Fabienne has died. And Fabienne was her childhood best friend. Mm -hmm. The book takes some interesting turns because we get to see those children kind of growing up in this bucolic kind of atmosphere. But then Fabian is one of those kids, and you know exactly the kind. There's a character in Babysitter's Club that is just like this, where she's kind of obsessed with dark things. And they tell stories to each other and kind of creep each other out. And Fabienne has the idea that she'll tell the stories if Agnes will write them down. Agnes is kind of the better student. So Agnes winds up writing them down. They both have written it together, but really it's a lot of Fabienne's kind of creativity and genius. But Fabienne tells Agnes, we're going to publish this and you say you're the writer. Mm -hmm. And so they're kids and they wind up publishing this book, but only Agnes gets credit. And Agnes, because she has become now this kind of genius child author, this kind of wonderkind, gets taken to Paris, where she kind of gets to promote the book. She ultimately is taken to a boarding school in England, and all the time she's she's apart from Fabienne. And their friendship, you can't tell how manipulative and how healthy their friendship really is. I loved it. It's fascinating. It's beautifully written. We did a From the Front Porch book club around it. It was one of my shelf subscription picks. Mm. I adore it. Second, we have Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, which it was a debut novel. So this was her first book. And it it went, how do we say it? It sold like hotcakes. It went like gangbusters. It was so popular. I adore this book. It is very different in tonality from 
Book of Goose, the cover, you might even see the cover of Lessons in Chemistry and think, oh, that book looks so fun. Like the book cover kind of mm. looks like, uh, where'd you go, Bernadette, if yes. you remember that. Yep. And I hate the cover because the book is actually full of depth. It's about a scientist named, named Elizabeth Zott. She's a scientist in like the 60s, maybe 70s. And because she is a woman, she is sexually harassed. She winds up quitting her job as a scientist or being fired from that job. And she's kind of down on her luck until a person is like, you would be great on TV. And they hire her to be almost like a Julia Child. She has a TV show on like a PBS type of thing. But she write or she talks about food in a scientific way. So she's she's brilliant scientist. The other thing I love about this book is all the side characters. Elizabeth Zott unwillingly, <laughs> unwillingly, unknowingly falls in love. We see her raise a really quirky little girl. She has a dog called 630, which is part of the charm of Elizabeth Zott. She's very exacting. She's very mm. Uh, she winds up naming her dog that because there was a misunderstanding about what time she was going to be home, 6.30. Well, that became the dog's name. It's just Elizabeth Zott will live in my memory for a really long time. She's one of my favorite protagonists of the last 10 years. And I think that book is so much more deep and interesting than the cover really gives it credit for. But at the same time, it's also these characters you really love. So they're very different to me in tone. One One feels darker in nature. One feels lighter. But... They're these female protagonists that are really strong and vibrant, and the books have a lot of depth to them. So what do you think? Yeah, this does sound like a very close matchup. It sounds like Lessons in Chemistry is the team that you think is straight-laced. Like maybe it's it's an Ivy League team that comes in, gets a high seed for an Ivy League team, but like they're really fun and colorful, Mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, underneath. So I would say, I think I'm going to advance um, Book of Goose, okay. uh, partly because, you know, I have a cousin who was like what Fabian sounds mm. sounds like as a, as a child at Emma Torrance. Um, so, <laughs> wow, he yeah. just, just named her for everybody. Yeah, I think she would like to be named. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, she was kind of like that in terms of being interested in mysteries and in kind of, you know, a little bit of Kids are, stuff yeah. Now. Kids Very often are and, and 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 fun in that way. Okay, so, so you have a personal attachment. I do have a personal attachment, and also that period of time is interesting to me. Okay, uh, well, so, I yeah, agreed. So I'm gonna I'm gonna advance. Mm. But I also think it's interesting That's to have brutal. a situation where you have two people and one of them, I, and I love shows or books that focus on two people. And one of them is kind of the brains or the creativity, but the other one is the public face. Mm. And then to see the envy, yeah. the bruise in the person who doesn't get that fame mm-hmm. that he wants or that she wants. Uh, I think that's interesting. It is interesting. I, that matchup breaks my heart. I I think it's going to break a lot of readers' hearts yeah. because I actually think in the general public, more people liked Lessons in Chemistry yeah. than Book of Goose because Book of Goose is kind of weird. Yeah. It, and I love a weird book. You do love a weird I, book. I love a weird book. You'll but, read it in one sitting. I well did you read this in one I sitting? Might have. Okay. I might have. I yeah. loved it so much, but not every reader is that way. And so I do think it'll I think this would have been 
one that would be hard on the masses. Yeah. Like somebody's yelling in their car right now. No, lessons in chemistry. March Madness is heartbreaking. It is. Okay, so so far we've got Confessions of Franny Langton and Book of Goose by Yu Yun Lee. We got to move quickly now. Funny You Should Ask is by Alyssa Sussman versus Nora Goes Off Script by Annabelle Moynihan. Olivia has pitted these two rom-coms against each other. They were two of our best-selling books last year. Funny You Should Ask was a paperback original by Alyssa Sussman. It was about Hani and Gabe. And basically, Hani is this kind of entertainment reporter who is assigned to interview movie star Gabe for a profile. It wounds up being this really unusual profile. And 10 years later, Hani and Gabe are forced kind of back together to recreate this kind of, this clickbaity article that that did so well. So the reason I liked this book so much, I really like the trope of movie star falls in love with normal person. Mm. We saw it in the movie Notting Hill where Hugh Grant is the normal and Julia right. Roberts is the movie star. Right. We see it a lot in these rom-coms, and I love this trope. I think it's so fun to imagine what it would be like right. if a movie star fell in love with a normal person. Okay, so the other thing that is fun about this book is Alyssa Sussman based her fictional book on a real-life Chris Evans interview that was done for GQ magazine years oh. ago, where basically the interviewer it sounded like a rom-com because the interview interviewed Chris Evans and then wound up joining him on the red carpet, wound up going over to his house. And there was all this speculation, like, did they date? Did they not? And anyway, so this is where kind of this fictional book came from. Nora Goes Off Script, one of my favorite books of 2022. It came out in hardback. It's a debut novel by Annabelle Moynihan. And much like, funny you should ask, it is a movie star falls in love with normal kind of book. Mm. So Nora is our main character. She writes, she's a writer of often Hallmark kind of films, but she wrote a film about a screenplay about her divorce from her husband. And it wound up becoming not a Hallmark movie, but like a really an excellent almost indie film or something. And because of how she wrote about her home and certain aspects of her home, the movie is filmed at her house. And so who shows up but this very handsome movie star and there's some chemistry there, but Nora also has two kids. Uh, the book is has these two really precocious, I think they're the least annoying kids I've ever seen <laughs> in an adult novel. Like I really fell in love with the kids, which is rare. Um, because sometimes precocious kids in books are like too smart for their mm. own good, especially when they're side side characters. When they're main characters, I feel like I can deal with them. But anyway, they're delightful children. And Nora and Leo wind up maybe falling in love. And I found it to be so charming that this is a book that I read. And this is bizarre for me, but I think I read it three times last year. I loved it so much. Wow. I just loved the people. Why did you say maybe falling in love? We don't know at the end? Well, you know, we do know. Oh, they okay. You're just trying not I was just it. trying not to okay, spoil okay, it. Sorry. Okay. So, like, the- does it leave it on a cliffhanger? <laughs> That's like David Swain's worst night. Jordan's. Wow, you're really dropping yeah, full names. Yeah. Um, so, okay. You know my love for a rom com. Yeah. I am so curious which rom com you would pick. Which movie would you watch? Which book would you read? I, I think I would prefer uh, funny. You should ask, but I think I'm going to advance Nora Goes Off Script because mm. for you to read a book three times is ridiculous. Yeah, I never do that. Yeah, so, I really so, never do that. So that 
I trust you. I loved the characters. And I look, I funny you should ask was when I also it's I think the characters in both of these books I found to be so likable that there were moments last year when I was reading something and I just thought, but I really don't want to be reading this. I want I miss my people. I've heard uh, one of our customers kind of uses that phrase. Sometimes I miss those people. I missed those people. And so I would go back and listen to snippets of funny you should ask because I listened to that one on audiobook and Anyway, I just, but I kind of agree with you. I think Nora Goes Off Script should advance. I loved Funny You Should Ask. I'm excited about Alyssa Sussman. Actually, both Alyssa Sussman and Annabelle Moynihan have second books coming out this year. And it'll be interesting to see if I love them as much as I loved their first. This is like Succeed Creighton that should advance and does advance. Okay. All right. So Nora Goes Off Script moves forward. Okay. Next, we have two nonfiction picks. You Are My Sunshine. This is by Southern author Sean Dietrich versus The Crane Wife by C.J. I don't know if she would call herself a Southern writer, but she definitely is an author familiar to us. She went to Florida State University many, many years ago. We had her on the podcast. She'd hosted her first book signing, I think, of the book The Fromaways at the bookshelf. It's one of the first events I think I ever did at the bookshelf in Thomasville. So we have an attachment. I think Olivia knew that. Uh, we have an attachment both to Sean Dietrich yes. and to CJ yes. Hauser. I think that's why these books are pitted against one another. So Olivia is diabolical. She is. She is. And she's probably listening to this "Ah, with a big ah, grin ah, on her face, (laughs) loving that she did this. So You Are My Sunshine is Sean Dietrich's memoir about a really lengthy and adventurous and strenuous bike trip that he and his wife took after kind of receiving some bad news. His wife, Jamie, I think really pushed them to move beyond that scary news and instead focus on something adventurous and wonderful and exciting. And so it's kind of all about that period in their lives. So it's a bit of a travel memoir, almost a road trip memoir, where they travel together and they do this bike ride together. And then The Crane Wife is an essay collection. Mm -hmm. So this was my in my top... hmm, I think this was in my top two books I read last year. I think this book is brilliantly written. Every essay is excellent, which is very difficult to say about an essay collection. C.J. Hauser writes about things like a robotics tournament and also the great American classic film, The Philadelphia Story. And all of the essays are brilliant brilliant and poignant and personal. And it was one of those books that I finished and was like, (laughs) crap, (laughs) I wish I could write like this. Mm, Like that's how I felt after I finished that book. So We've got Sean Dietrich with really maybe the hometown advantage, like an Auburn being yes. able to play in Birmingham. Yes. And then we've got The Crane Wife by C.J. Hauser. Yeah, I think You Are My Sunshine is the Memphis. This is hmm. the team where you love the coach. Yes. You love Penny Hardaway. I do love Penny But Hardaway. it doesn't advance. And okay. you're sad that it doesn't advance. So okay. I'm going to advance The Crane Wife. But Sean Dietrich is, to me, one of the funniest men in the world. And he, I, I, he is so funny. We went to an event of his back even before he was as well known as he is now. Oh, that's and true. And he just had me in stitches talking about Coca-Cola, <laughs> wetting, you know, wet, wetting his pants in front of, you know, when he was a little kid in school. I mean, he could just tell a story. And you love so that. Because, well. And I love it too, because it's very familiar to yeah. us. Like, It is, we have, right, we have people in our lives who have stories just like that and the ability to tell those stories just like that. It's like, I've been there. I know what that smells like. I know those people, you know, he's hilarious. You know what I love? So we talk about Sean Dietrich a lot as this Southern writer and as somebody we really recognize and somebody whose stories we recognize, but 
Michelle, who is my virtual mm-hmm. assistant, she works uh, with the bookshelf. She lives and was born and raised in Minnesota, then did like a stint in Los Angeles. She told me the other day, she said, oh, I've been listening to You Are My Sunshine on Libro FM. And she said, I just love it. I love Sean's voice. It's so soothing. Mm-hmm. And the stories are so funny and fascinating. We might think, oh, he's a regional author with regional expectations. And maybe the people of the South love him even more than anybody else. But I think it his work really transcends region because Michelle absolutely loves it. And I thought that was fascinating fascinating. because I didn't know if it was something mostly Southerners enjoyed. And most of our, I don't, I won't say most of our podcast listeners, but our in-store customers are generally quite Southern. It's why we had such a huge Sean Dietrich turnout a few months ago. But I love that his work Mm. is becoming well-known beyond the South, and Michelle just got a kick out of it and thought it was great. Right, and each person hears it and and understands it. Yes, regardless of region. But I do agree with you that I think they are more Memphis. I mean, it breaks my heart. Memphis broke my heart this weekend, but I think it's The Crane Wife by C.J. Houser. I agree. Next, we have New Girl in Little Cove by Dominate Moynihan versus A Boy and His Dog at the End of the World by Charlie Fletcher. We may have talked about A Boy and His Dog at the End of the World before. I feel like this is a book that has made our best-selling titles a couple of times, and I think that is because of Olivia and her book-selling expertise. This is a book she absolutely loves. So first, we've got New Girl in Little Cove, which is a book I read and really like. It's a great kind of paperback title about a woman named Rachel who moves to Newfoundland to take a teaching position there. It's at a Catholic school. It's a deeply Catholic town. And Rachel does not exaggerate her Catholicism. Just kidding. Yes, she does. She kind of exaggerates her faith in order to get this job. Uh, She's not necessarily the most devout Catholic you've ever met. And then she moves to Newfoundland and kind of this small, tiny little island, this tiny town, and really falls in love with it. But it is full of hardship and moving to a new place. Is it a fishbowl? Yes. And it is a great book if you grew up liking Anne of Green Gables or something like that because the uh, Newfoundland setting is so rich and so beautiful. But it's also a fish out of water story. And then we have Boy and His Dog at the End of the World, which is narrated by Grizz. Grizz is a teenager living in a post-apocalyptic world. In this book, the apocalypse that happened has resulted in many, many people, like half the population, not being able to have children. And so Grizz is one of very few teenagers that we see in the world. And he wakes up one morning alongside his beloved dog, I think, Jip. And he and Jip wake up and discover that his other beloved dog, Jess, is gone. And so without even thinking, Grizz and Jip kind of embark on this journey to Mm -hmm. find Jess and of course, this the world is one that is partly recognizable to us, but also not fully recognizable to us. And Grizz winds up reflecting back on the world his parents have told him about, mm. but he never got to experience. And then he's taking care of his beloved dog while also trying to find his other beloved dog. So those are the two books. Yeah, Shades of uh, The Last of Us. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah, I love a well-written post-apocalyptic you book. You do, and so do I. Especially one that remembers the world that, we, you know, currently live in partly Mm -hmm. because we think everything's always going to advance and get better. And that's just not always true. So it's interesting to imagine a world in which things get horrible Mm -hmm. and then they remember back and it kind of helps us realize how good we have it now. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, I think the idea of 
of a woman moving to Newfoundland, kind of up there near Prince Edward, Prince Edward Island, yeah. to live in a fishbowl and then exaggerate her fate. I think that sounds hilarious. It was very funny. And, um, I'm gonna go with um, I'm gonna go with new new girl in little cove. I knew it, and I knew once I uttered the words Catholic that that yeah, is what, it has <laughs> that that is what you would move I'm forward open about my biases. <laughs> okay. Next, we have two religious books. So the first is Liturgies for Hope by Audrey Elledge and Elizabeth Moore and A Curious Faith by Lori Wilbert. So I love both of these books. We have decided at the bookshelf when we were looking at our best nonfiction, our nonfiction bestsellers of 2022, a lot of the list was these religious books, particularly Christian books, but we were trying to name, because they feel like quirky Christian books, but it's not quirky. That's not the right word. We really did decide, and we borrowed Lori Wilbert's phrase, that a lot of the books, the best-selling Christian books that we happen to sell at the bookshelf, deal with curiosity. Mm. And they're really for the curious Christian. Yes. And hopefully, perhaps for the curious non-Christian as well. But we have a Christian bookstore in town right down the street from us. So it's surprising to us and to our staff that some of our nonfiction bestsellers are often religious in nature. And I think it is because it has to do with which books that really is. It's not like you're—I mean, I loved these back in the day, but it's not like you're Amish fiction. Do you know what I mean? It's it's really these books that are—I'm not going to say pushing on the boundaries, but they're trying to untangle the threads. Mm -hmm. And so— And there's a lot of honesty. Yes, you're right. Honesty. That's true. What what things are difficult and what am I thinking about and struggling with, and let's talk about those things. Yes, let's talk about it. So the first book, Liturgies for Hope, is a collection of prayers— I do have a bias actually toward both of these books because Elizabeth Moore is a friend of mine. We were introduced um, mm. by my friend Hallie. And so you li- have to recuse yourself. <laughs> I know. Well, that's you why you're here. That's why you're here. So Liturgies for Hope, I find to be a really comforting book. Uh, there's a particular prayer that really touched me last fall, a, a prayer about not being able to pay your bills. Um, because I remember that one. At the time, yeah, the bookshelf, things were just tight and it was scary to me. And so I loved that Audrey and Elizabeth worked together on this prayer book during the pandemic when they both were transplanted Southerners who live in New York City. And so they wound up staying in New York City during the pandemic and the loneliness that they kind of felt. Mm -hmm. And so they partnered together to write prayers. And they both are poets, I think, by nature. I think that's fair to say. And so their words are really beautiful. Okay, then you have A Curious Faith, which is a more maybe traditional book, meaning it's not little prayers interspersed or or divided up based on subject matter. Instead, it's kind of a foreword. Each chapter is about a different aspect of faith and curiosity. And Lori Wilbert's whole premise is that the spiritual life should be one of curiosity Mm. and that we serve a God who honors and sees our questions Mm. and that that is not a dangerous thing. In fact, it is an admirable thing that we are supposed to ask questions. We're called to ask questions. And those questions often help shape who we are and who we become. So I have read both of these books, though I've not, interestingly, I've not finished either one because Liturgies for Hope is a collection of prayers that you pick up and put down. And then A Curious Faith is so rich and dense that I think Mm. I've read half. (laughs) And I have not finished it because it's just one of those books that you pick up and put down, but I I love yeah. and I love Lori Wilbert. She's one of my very favorite follows on the internet. One of the people that truly brings light to my Instagram feed. So, liturgies for hope versus a curious faith. What are you moving forward? Yeah, those are both interesting to me. I'm going to move forward liturgies for hope because uh, partly because 
I appreciate the idea of liturgy and the fact that it puts into words something that maybe we don't know how to express. And usually it's written um, from the perspective of people who have experienced those things mm-hmm. and they're time tested. And, and it, it gives you comfort because you realize I am walking alongside, you know, millions of people over the centuries who have felt these same things. Mm. We keep feeling the same things when we deal with God. Yeah. Uh, people, we are kindred kindred spirits with them, and, and I like that. So I'm going to advance Liturgies for Hope. Okay. I do love that little book. Next, we have The Cartographers. That's by Ping Shepherd versus The Appeal by Janice Hallett. So The Cartographers, both of these are fiction books, uh, maybe more in the mystery suspense genre. So The Cartographers is about a young woman named Nell. Her father is like a famous cartographer, famous map reader, uh, understander of maps. And Nell works for him until he fires her. And she is shocked and hurt. And then he fires her kind of over this map that she really didn't think. It was kind of this older map. She didn't think it meant anything. And he fires her over this. And then days later, he's found dead over this map, like Mm. kind of leaning over this map. And so Nell, my understanding, I've not read this book, um, but my understanding is Nell kind of takes it upon herself then to figure out why this map held such importance in her Mm. father's eyes. And then she realizes there maybe are some people after her trying to get the map. Mm. Okay, so very much an adventure story as well. Then we have The Appeal. This is a book Olivia loved and immediately told me to read it, and so I did. And it is told over email and text, almost entirely over email and text. Um, A theater troupe, kind of in the middle of a production, begins to collect money for the director's grandchild who has gotten sick with cancer. And so they all collect money. And then there's some speculation among the members. Is the grandchild really sick? Is Is this a real appeal or not? And so the appeal kind of takes on multiple meetings throughout the book. Ultimately, someone in the theater troupe is found dead. And so what is left is all of this mounds of evidence that these attorneys are sifting through. And that is what we, the reader, have become privy to. Oh, so that's why it's all emails and texts is yes. because it's it's evidence that we're sifting through. Yeah. And occasionally you get the attorney's perspective. So you're trying to figure out this who done it, but only armed with certain kinds and amounts of information. Yeah, I think it's fascinating as a lawyer. Uh, the fact that we do trust juries to make decisions, but juries don't see all of the evidence. Mm. There, there are some pieces of evidence that we think are too biased or, or not probative enough about the truth that we don't let the jury see. And so I think that's an interesting idea. I also think that the appeal is the team that comes into the tournament that's kind of unorthodox. It's not written in mm. the way that, you know, hey, they, you know, they, they don't play like a team should play. They're not the uh, traditional team, and they come in and kind of shock the world and get a big blowout win in the first match. So I'm okay. going to advance the appeal. Okay. that feel, I think that's completely accurate because you're right. It's kind of a non-traditional epistolary novel where it's just kind of all this correspondence. And I don't think every reader loves that. Yeah. But I think if you can get beyond the unorthodox nature of it, it's really fun and entertaining. Epistolary? Epistolary, yeah. That's a good word. Okay, so last matchup, and then we've got to go back through and kind of narrow this fully down. So last matchup is Book Lovers by Emily Henry versus Book Eaters. (laughs) I laughed when I saw this. By Suni Dean. Book Lovers is a rom-com. It is, well... It's, it's a rom-com that is also very much about sister relationships. So we have another character named Nora and Libby. They are sisters. Nora 
leaves New York to come to, I believe it's North Carolina. I think it's a town in North Carolina to visit her sister. And while she's there, she's like this high-powered literary agent. While she's visiting her sister and trying to figure out kind of what's going on with her sister, Libby, she keeps running into this guy named Charlie, who's like her work nemesis up when she's living in New York, but somehow he's down here and they keep running into each other and maybe they wind up liking each other. Okay, then Book Eaters. I think you're gonna, I honestly think you're gonna love this. So this is a book that Olivia read and loved. <laughs> this is, looks hilarious. Okay, so in this book, in this world, books are literal food. So okay. you eat them and then, or, or book eaters eat them. And they retain then all of that information. So if you eat a book about maps, like, you know, Jordan Jones, you should eat a book about maps because you would know where to go and what to do. Okay. And also, like, for example, spy novels are a peppery snack. Rom-coms or romance novels are sweet. And then children for punishment are given musty old dictionaries to eat. But Devin is raised in this world. She's a book eater. She's raised by book eaters. And she is mm. kind of entirely raised on fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And that's because that is what women are often fed mm. and allowed to read. And men are allowed to read lots of other things, but women are kind of raised on this one diet. And then Devin has a son. And Devin's son is not so much book eater as he is brain eater. Mm. And maybe maybe it's a little gross. Maybe it's a little suspenseful. Maybe it's a little horrific. Mm. Maybe it's creative and interesting and fun. So Olivia read this book and absolutely loved it. And every time she hand sells it in the store, you should see her trying to explain to people. Now, it sounds gross to be a brain eater, but like, yes. <laughs> like she's trying to explain yes. it. But it really does sound fascinating. Yeah, I'm going to have to advance book eaters. I, you know, I, for several reasons. One is, you know, when we have someone in our family and we realize, oh, that person has a different palate, <laughs> you know, in any sense yeah. for food, for for belief, for books, for whatever, trying to deal with people who don't have the same taste, you know, that we have is is interesting. And then I also think the, the whole part about being raised on fairy tales, you know, we, we've talked before about British fairy tales versus American fairy mm-hmm. tales. And that's a fascinating conversation. But I think Book Eaters is going to win, okay. you know, handily. I think so, uh, too. In, in, in that one. Okay. Those were our top 16. Yep. Those are our 16 seeds. So now we're to the Elite Eight. Yes. And we have Confessions of Franny Langton. Yes. Versus Book of Goose, which is a really interesting, that's an interesting pairing. It is an interesting pairing. And I've thought about this already. I think Book of Goose is going to advance and be that strange Elite Eight team that, that not many people have because I think Confessions of Franny Langton was so happy to be where the crawdads scene. Yeah. They're f- they're fine with that. They've already popped the champagne. They just <laughs> they just sleepwalk into uh, the next round and Book of Goose wins based on that. Okay. Then we have, and help me remember, but I'm pretty sure next we have Nora Goes Off Script versus The Crane Wife. Yes. Oh, that's an um, interesting pairing as well. I love when this happens. Yes. Yes. This is interesting. Um, so I think the crane wife is essay collections. Nora goes off script is the rom-com. Yeah. I think the, I think the crane wife advances here in a very, very, very tight game. I agree. It's tight. Yeah. I, but I do think the crane wife is the one that moves forward. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then we have new girl in little cove versus liturgies for hope. Yeah. And, and I'm going to advance new girls in little cove. I think liturgies for hope, 
uh, was happy to get that first round win, um, but probably when it has to play New Girl and Little Cove, probably gets a little bit confused. And, mm. and you know, New Girl and Little Cove advances. Okay, and then The Appeal versus Book Eaters. Yeah, so The Appeal is the one that, that w- is unorthodox. Mm-hmm. Unorthodoxy can get you out of the first round, but it can't get you to the final game. Okay. At the end of the day, you have to be able to practice the fundamentals, mm-hmm. to do the time-tested things, to be able to dribble, take care of the ball, make your shots, play sound defense. And unorthodoxy is fun and it's cute. It can't get you past that second round. Okay. So so it's gonna be it's gonna be book eaters. Which maybe. I I love that we live in a world where book eaters is orthodox. What how yes. great yes. <laughs> how great yes. that they're the more traditional right. story. Okay. So now final four. Yeah. Is Book of Goose yes. versus The Crane Wife. Yeah. And then New Girl in Little Cove, which shocking that it has made it this far, yeah. versus Book Eaters. Yeah. What an eclectic it, final it, four. It's an eclectic final I four. I don't think there's many one seeds left. I, I agree. This is like a few years ago when the final game ended up being number seven and number eight. Yeah. Uh, kind of weird. I think Book of Goose runs out of gas. You do versus, wait a minute, what are we talking about? Yeah. Versus Crane Wife? Yeah, I think, I think the Crane Wife surprisingly is the maybe the sixth seed that ends up in the final game okay look and i would have crane wife seated higher because but i agree that book of goose is the higher of the two yeah and so i think the crane wife is under seated like Ooh, I, think, I think it's under-seeded. okay i think i think it's the sixth seed i think it's the creighton of this year okay it, it's kind of like creighton wow creighton could make the final four and then lo and behold it does mm. you know uh so i i think um or maybe the penn state of this year penn state's number 10 and it could make the final four okay i think it's under okay so we've got the um, crane wife yeah. they've they are advancing to the championship game yeah and then we have new girl in little cove versus book eaters yeah i think this is my favorite game to watch really i think this one is interesting the out of all they're so opposite teams these books just really fascinate me okay but but the book eaters is such a fascinating concept to me i think it's such an original premise it's an original premise and i when i first looked at it i was you know i'm reminded of that passage from revelation where john is told to eat the book yeah and when it's in his mouth it's sweet and when it's in his stomach it's bitter and and like so the concept of eating books i've always kind of thought about that like mm-hmm. in my mind like oh that's interesting uh, but th- this is really i may have to actually read the book eaters once session is over so i'm going to advance the book uh, book eaters i think that's the one i would advance as well like i think they're both I think that would be an interesting matchup to watch they feel completely different new girl in little cove is kind of this feel good susie approved story yeah and susie is never going to read a book my mom Susie's never going to read a book about a brain eater. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, go, yeah. <laughs> Can't even think about that. Can't even think about that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wait till mom hears your yeah. impression of her. Yeah. It's going to go over great. I don't know how it's going to sound, but that's how I, that's how I think of you, Miss Susie, <laughs> in, in love. So, okay. So we're going to move forward, book eaters, which I, I do think there is something to be said as much as you were talking about orthodox play versus unorthodox play. I do think there is something about especially in this world where so many books are published every year. Mm. Some might say too many books mm. are published every year. I love that something original yes, it's and original. something that you haven't read before right. moves forward. And high quality. You yes. Know, well thought out. Olivia loved this it, It's book. practiced. Yeah. It's the practiced team. It's the team that has practiced all of these things. Okay. 
which gives us in the mm. championship game. I think this is pretty, I, I think this is unusual. I think this, I would, I need to go back and listen to former March Madness episodes, but this feels like an unusual final matchup. It is The Crane Wife by C.J. Hauser versus Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean. Yeah, I think this is a final game where people say, wow, we didn't expect either of these teams mm-hmm. here. We've got a six seed and maybe a three seed. Um, and I think I think the three seed, Book Eaters, pulls it out. Oh, finishes. disagree. Yeah. So I think no, the, the, wait. The, the, the book, book no, eaters, you don't get to just book decide. Book Eaters for the win. This is the championship game. I, the, well, this we whole time to, you said that. Because I agreed with you, but now I disagree. Oh, okay. Well, Book Eaters, champ. And, and, and a controversial. So a few years back, Auburn and UVA played in the Final Four game, and UVA double dribbled, and it wasn't called. And Auburn ended up losing, and and so Auburn fans like kind of laughingly always like wear shirts that say UVA double dribbled. Is it That's laughingly? This. That's this. Ugh. That's this. The I cannot CJ believe book, book eaters just beat out the crane wife. No way. There the, are people. The there are people be, yelling at us right now. Oh, they're going to be yelling for years. This <laughs> is why it's March Madness. They're going to be saying. They're going to be saying book eater double dribbled. Book eater double dribbled. But that's what book eater hangs the banner at the end of the day. I just knew it was going to be the crane wife on top. I cannot believe. A lot this. of people think that <laughs> half the stadium thought that when they came in. Oh, Olivia's going to be thrilled. Olivia deserves to be thrilled. <laughs> Olivia she deserves did a great this job. Win. She does. Fine. She worked very hard. Fine. Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean. I'm going to have to read this book. You are. Okay. Here's what. Okay. Here's what I want. I want you post session to read this book and I want you to read The Crane Wife. Ooh, and then come back and, and then see if I, I'm right. Yes. yes. And then I want a follow up episode, even if the episode is just me I and think you. That's a good idea. Not to the public. People do I love need to follow up. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to follow up. Okay, okay I'll, I'll try to grant that. Okay. I think I can grant that. Okay. This week, What I'm Reading is brought to you by the 102nd Annual Rose Show and Festival here in Thomasville, Georgia. Come visit us for the weekend of April 28th and 29th and experience the flowers, fun, food, and shopping in beautiful Thomasville. Plan your visit at thomasvillega.com. I always hesitate to say what my favorite time of year is in Thomasville because obviously Christmas is magical. We talk about that a lot, that it's just a really fun time to visit. But I think spring is just such a beautiful time to visit the South in general before the heat before the heat gets too unbearable. And so that is one of the reasons I do think Rose Show and Festival would be such a great time to play tourist in Thomasville. Also, if you are a book lover, and I think if you're listening to this podcast episode, you are, the weekend of Rose Show and Festival is also the weekend of Indie Bookstore Day. So if you come to Thomasville for Rose Show and Festival, you will also get to enjoy fun and festive things happening at the bookshelf in downtown. It is just the most fun, stars hollow time of year where neighbors and friends have come back home for a little bit. They are seeing and greeting one another in our downtown. I just have such vivid memories every year, except for the year it rained. (laughs) Every year, leaving the bookshelf to stand on the corner while the marching band comes and plays and opens the rose tent. It's just so much fun. And I think Victorian Christmas is really fun, but I think a little bit more crowded. And I think just a little bit more, 
I don't know, traditional or more attended. And so I actually think Rose Show is is really the best time to come. Wow. That's <laughs> I know. controversial. That's I know. Good. It's That's a good. controversial opinion, um, which is a controversial thing to say on an ad. But I think it's the truth. So this week, I'm reading Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. Jordan, what are you reading? I am reading Florida Statutes, various iterations of that, various years, and also Shakespeare in a Divided America. By? By? James Shapiro. James Shapiro. (laughs) What? I have one more thing to say. Okay. (laughs) Your guys can edit this out if they don't want to, but I want to make a pitch. If you've never filled out a March Madness bracket, you need to do it. There are three things in my life that are both fun, beyond compare, and massively humbling. (laughs) The first one is the game of golf, Mm. which no matter how good I get, it's frustrating and humbling and I feel stupid. The second is the Christian faith, which is massively fun and massively humbling. And the third is filling out a March Madness (laughs) bracket, which no matter how many years I do it, I think, why was I that stupid? And this year is one of those years where I'm massively humbled. <laughs> Thank you so much. He is losing very badly to very to, badly. to everyone. It's ridiculous. <laughs> to everyone we know. So thank you again to our sponsor, the 102nd Annual Rose Show and Festival here in Thomasville, Georgia. Plan your upcoming visit at thomasvillega.com. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelfteville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Donna Hetchler, Cammie Tidwell, Chantal C., Kate O'Connell, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Lori Johnson. Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see write a review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, you can support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support, Front Porch Friends, Book Club Companions, and Bookshelf Benefactors. Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week.